Okay, so we left off in chapter 28 of Second Chronicles, which is the story of King Ahaz, who was an exceedingly wicked king. He was a wicked man, and the worse that things got for him, because the, the Lord would just... Um, the, 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 the Lord would just bring judgment on him and the people, the worse he would become. And this is the case with some people. It, t- it says in Second Chronicles 28, 22, I always find this to be a very interesting verse. It says, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. I got to tell you, that's pretty much the mark of someone who is unsaved. If, if, if you are being judged and chastened by God and you say, well, the solution of, to this is probably to go into deeper and deeper sin and immorality and ungodliness, um, you, you, know, you may not be a child of God. At some point, you're going to turn back, like Luke 15 says, the prodigal son, and he's, you're going to go back to your father you're going to return to your father. The Bible says that not everyone is a child of God. We do learn that in the world, that um, every single person in the world is a child of God. It's never, that is never taught in the Bible, (laughs) ever. John 1.12 says, to those who receive Jesus Christ, to those who believe in his name, to these he gives the right to be children of God. And children of God, when they're chastened, will return to their father. King Ahaz, the worse things got, the more unfaithful to the Lord he got. That's bad. And uh, chapter 29 and 20 and 30 of Second Chronicles are among the most encouraging chapters in the Bible. You see what people miss just because of a little storm? They miss some of the most encouraging books or chapters of the Bible. Ugh! This is such an encouraging chapter and such an encouraging guy. Hezekiah, verse 1 of chapter 29 of Second Chronicles, became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. So, please note, he did this in the first month 
of his reign. He was 25 years when he became king. And he takes this action, and it's, it's like he doesn't sort of do things a little bit at a time just to gradually ease in. He just immediately declares war on the devil, basically. And my personal feeling of, of what went on here is that he's a little older than, for example, jo he's a lot older than Josiah. Was Josiah eight years old when he became king? Um, it took Josiah a little while um, before he started doing the same things as Hezekiah because he was younger. But, but my, my theory here is that Hezekiah was raised in the fear of admonition of the Lord. How do I know that? It says his mother's name was Abijah. This is the daughter of Zechariah. Commentators think that this is the daughter of the priest of whom it um, says in 2 Chronicles 26 verse 5 that Uzziah sought God in the days of Zechariah. So God is looking for one person, and this guy Abijah, uh, I mean, rather, this guy Zechariah, just comes, comes out of nowhere. I'm sure everyone expected, I'm sure, you know, his father is so wicked, I'm sure he'll be as bad or worse. And, uh, but little did they know that his mother was investing in him year after year. She was living by faith. She didn't say, oh, it's no point. His father is like a wicked pagan. There's no point raising my kid in the fear and admonition of the Lord. On top of everything else, by the way, the northern kingdom had collapsed. So the ten tribes of Israel in the north that had formed another kingdom was no longer a kingdom. The Assyrians had overrun it completely. And so there's like no hope in the natural Christians should be a people who hope. The Bible says, love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I believe that Christians should be optimists, and that's not just positive thinking gobbledygook. It's what I think the Bible teaches. There's plenty of room always to have hope. And so... Uh, King Hezekiah becomes king when he's 25 years old. He's going to reign a long time. He's going to bring a lot of good things to his country. And so he says, he's rebuking, he's correcting the Levites. Hear me, Levites. By the way, again, it should be the pastors. Um, it should be the pastors uh, prophesying to the president, not the president prophesying to the pastors. But here it is, the the, the, the president is, is saying to the pastors, get with it. Would you sanctify yourself? Sanctify the house of the Lord God, your fathers. Carry out the rubbish from our holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. So, you know, it is important to honor your father and honor your mother. This becomes difficult when your father or mother has done many terrible things. I think that you, it's still important that you protect the nakedness of 
your, your parents, meaning you don't wave their dirty laundry for everyone to see. Um, you protect their nakedness just like um, the two good sons of Noah protected the nakedness of Noah when he had gotten drunk in the book of Genesis. The one son didn't, and uh, there was judgment on, on him and his, uh, and his descendants, but, uh, or, or him and his, was it his son or his grandson? But, but I, I, um, there are certain times when your parents have publicly sinned and publicly damaged people that you may have to publicly do something about it. So he publicly says, he does use the plural, our fathers have trespassed. He doesn't want to try to cover up his father's sin because to do so would be a mockery. And people would say, what kind of hypocrite is this? He needed to publicly, basically declare, he doesn't name his dad by name, but he needs to say, look, what my father did was evil and it was wrong. And so right there, the, the people are able to uh, gain a confidence in him. Look at this guy's even willing to tell the truth um, about his father. He's not covering up, covering up um, obvious evil. He's not saying, well, you know, he was a nice guy and he tried hard. And uh, No, none of that. He would have just looked like a hypocrite if he said that. He says, our fathers have trespassed and done evil. Verse 7, they have also shut up the doors of the vestibule. That's how bad Ahaz was, verse 24 of the previous chapter, in the middle of the verse there. He, it says he cut to pieces the articles of the house of God and shut the doors of the house of the Lord. He boarded them up, and he made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Ah. So they, verse 7 of chapter 29, he they shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. All those things were required by the law uh, in Leviticus to, and, and in Exodus to burn incense to the Lord, which represents the offering of, um, rather, prayers um, of the saints and the intercession uh, that is made on behalf of the, the saints. Uh, the Bible says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Um, he makes intercessions with groaning that can't be uttered. And, and, and so the, the, the incense that was burned daily in the temple represented that kind of thing. And, and uh, there were supposed to be burnt offerings um, in the holy place every day. They had all stopped. A burnt offering is an offering which represented, this is the first chapter of the book of Leviticus, complete consecration of, of Israel, the people of Israel, to the Lord. We're about you, Lord. All that had stopped. Verse 8, therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, desolation, jeering, as you can see with your eyes. Look around. This is Hezekiah speaking, look, he's speaking to the Levites, look around, look what a mess we're in. This is from the Lord. God didn't allow this to happen, he did it. He directed the enemies of God to come and destroy us. Uh, be careful of that word allow, by the way, it's not used that much in the Old Testament. I just listened to my son Sam's sermon on Habakkuk, where Habakkuk's like, 
why is all this stuff, terrible stuff happening? Why are you allowing it? And God says, well, uh, actually, it's going to get worse. I'm, uh, I'm sending the Babylonians. Uh, he didn't allow the Babylonians to come and destroy Jerusalem. He sent them. And so uh, it says that the Lord fell upon, the wrath of God fell upon Judah and Jerusalem. So all the desolations, all the bad, st- bad stuff was directly from the hand of the Lord. Why? Uh, because of justice, but because also of love, he wanted to bring them back to him. Verse 9, for indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. I pray many times on Saturday, on my prayer before the Sunday service, that I and the people of our church would recognize the wrath of God is hanging over this city. This city has been uh, creating worldviews and philosophies antagonistic to God and importing them all around the world through the 60 colleges that are in this city. And it's up to us to preach, look, the, the, the wrath of God is over the city, the city of Boston, but he has sent his son to save us instead of bringing wrath upon us. Come to him. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. So it says... Um, The fierce wrath of God is upon us. Verse 11, my sons, do not be negligent now for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. This takes some serious courage. I know he's the king, but you know how cynical people get, especially cynical old people. It's like, oh, who is this guy? We've heard this before. Who does he think he is, this young kid? You know, that's, that's what happens with age so oftentimes with age as the years go by and i talked about this last sunday morning people grow more and more and more cynical their hearts become more and more and more hardened that's why it's so important to seek the lord and seek him every day by the way one verse um i did not quote on sunday i ran out of time but uh it's just a beautiful verse it's Psalm 84. It says, um, oh man, that's not the verse I was looking for. I was looking for another verse. Lord, where, where is the other verse that I'm looking for? Does anyone know? It's it's a it's a verse. <laughs> it's like uh, I'm being like, um, who is the king who asked Daniel, "Tell me what my dream was." <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. No, it's it's the uh, it's the verse where um, it's a psalm that says, "Seek the Lord." It's David saying, "Seek the Lord every single day." Is that psalm? Where is that? Oh, I know where it is. I know where it is. I'm gonna find it. I'm going to find it for you because it's in my notes. Psalm 27.4. I'll be nicer than Nebuchadnezzar. He said that, what did he say? If you can't tell me what my dream was, I'm going to 
He said he was going to do bad things. One thing I have desired of the Lord, this will I seek. There's that word, seek. That I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Meaning, seek the Lord every day. I used to hear, man, I'm, I'm taking too long. I'm going down these rabbit trails. But I, I used to hear early, earlier on in my Christian life that most people get saved before the age of 21, which is true. It's a fact. Some, some crazy number like, does anyone know the number? Something like 80%. I mean, it's a huge percent. And I used to think, well, like, why is that? Is that just because they're catching kids when they're naive and they don't know any better? It was kind of discouraging to me. Unbelief would come into my mind, that kind of thing. Until I, went, until I went out into the corporate world and I saw what happened to people who year after year after year after year when they hear the corporate spin, when they hear just all the, the different, the media reports that are uh, not true and they grow harder and harder and harder and more cynical and more cynical and more cynical, their hearts harden. That's why they don't get saved. And that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation, young people. Don't wait till you're older. Your hearts will harden. Don't wait till you're older. Uh, my parents got saved when, when they were older, and I'm very, very thankful um, for that. And of course, many people get saved when they're older. But I have no doubt that there were older folks. Wow, that was a long rabbit trail. I have no doubt that there were older folks sneering at Hezekiah, old Levites, old priests. You know, priests were not, we've seen, we've already read about priests that were wicked, right? Hophni and Phinehas, wicked priests. They were just older priests, cynical, Levites, cynical. And here's this 25-year-old king, and, and their hearts were hardened because they'd been lied to year after year after year after year after year by Ahaz and, and whoever else. This guy says, and, and of all things, he's calling us sons. Verse 11, my sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord God has chosen you to stand before him to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. Courageous leadership. I don't know how many times I've sought out to do something and you'll have people, ah, yeah, it's not going to work. Well, you know, something, nothing ventured, nothing gained. We have to proceed forward as if, uh, not as if, along the lines of what we believe God has told us to, regardless of naysayers. Verse 12, then the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, the sons of Kohathites, meaning those were the, that's the priestly class, of the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abni, and Azariah, the sons of Jehalel, of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah, of the sons of Elizapham, Shimri, and Jeel, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, of the sons of Heman, Jehiel, and Shemai, and the sons of Judithan, Shemaiah, and Uziel. Now, they name the different priests and Levites here. The reason they're doing that, I'm convinced, is because there were many who did not get up. They just stayed back in their place, 
they were cynical. They were hardened of heart. They, they didn't believe that anything real was going to happen. And so these people got named. Praise the Lord. Their names were written in the Bible to be read by people for thousands of years. Verse 15, And they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it to the brook Kidron. So there was just all kinds of debris, garbage, whatever. They just left it. Um, they just, the temple had been boarded up or used as just a place to store rubbish. They'd have stuff in the streets that couldn't be used. What do we do with this? Oh, sh just take it over and throw it in the temple. That's literally what, how low the temple had gotten to be in the eyes of the people uh, all around Boston. Um, there have been churches in the same, there are churches really in the same condition, and we're looking to the Lord, hopefully, to, to occupy one uh, someday or build one. And, uh, then it says in verse 17, now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vegetable of the Lord, so they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. So, in 16 days, in the first month of Hezekiah's reign, they finished cleaning the temple. Uh, it, it, and it's just wonderful. To, this, this guy's giving the first fruits of his reign. To, it's all about the Lord. It's not mobilizing armies and uh, it's just like we said of Jehoshaphat. It's not mobilizing armies or let's make sure to get the right cabinet in place. He's doing the most important thing. He's getting, he's, he's getting, he's setting up, basically he's setting up a revival. He's, he's setting up the stage for spiritual renewal in the, comp in the country. Verse 18, then they went into the king Hezekiah and said, we have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings with all its articles, and the table of the showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are, before the altar of the Lord. So it's all ready. Remember, if, those of you who were with us when we studied the building of the tabernacle, and the temple is, roughly, is an image of it, and we saw it actually with the building of the temple, you have the altar of burnt offerings, before the, in front of the entrance of the temple where it was this big bronze thing where they would offer the bulls, the lambs, uh, the goats, the doves, the pigeons. Verse 20, then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. There's, there's not a rule on, on, on when to... Um, and when to seek the Lord. But I got to tell you, there is something special about rising with the dawn. <laughs> I think that, that, that may have been, I just read that in, in a verse this morning. Just rising with the dawn is a wonderful thing. Just seeking the Lord. There's something special about it. 
And so he rose early with the rulers of the city. He went to the house of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. So seven being the number of completion. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. Verse 22, so they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. They laid their hands on them, and the priests killed them, and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel, for the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. I just, in my devotion time a couple days ago, in Leviticus chapter 14, it is the day of atonement where the king, uh, the priest goes in and makes the offering for all Israel. Oh, that's not that's not Leviticus 17. Oh no, it's Leviticus. It's it's Leviticus 14, where the priest goes in and he makes atonement for the whole king, and again of uh, the whole kingdom. Again, it's pretty strange here that the king is telling the priests what to do. But he had been raised by his mother. He knows what he's doing now. He's telling him to get with it. And he's telling him, uh, make atonement for the whole country. So they have like a day of atonement here. Um, We'll see this again sort of on a different day that um, uh, on on a different day that the, uh, that the Lord commanded that it be done. Which statue is the Day of Atonement? It's actually 16, isn't it? It's 16. Sorry about all the confusion. So Leviticus 16. In Leviticus 16, let me see. I'm looking for the date that the Day of Atonement was. It's an interesting thing about this chapter of this this chapter when uh, when Hezekiah gets into power, he doesn't do these things on the date that was required in the Old Testament because he was so convinced that there needed to be immediate repentance. He basically doesn't wait. So, um, if I'm correct, he, he, the day of the atonement, the day that is specified for that is months and months away, uh, and then he's going to do the, what's that? What's that? Okay. So, yeah, so, so it's months away, it's Leviticus 16, 29, it's months away, but he does a day of atonement anyway, and then the Passover had already passed. But he does a Passover anyway. And, he, it, and, and the Lord blesses it. There are provisions, if you look in the law of Leviticus, there are provisions of what happens when someone's out of the country or can't celebrate. There are provisions for changing the date. But, but it would be so easy for this guy to say, 
uh, or, or a Levite or whoever say, yeah, you know, the Passover's already passed, or so, yeah, we're going to stay home and watch football, uh, you know, until it comes on next year. No, it's not showing a heart for the Lord. It's, he's just looking for an opportunity. He's looking for a way to bless the Lord uh, and not just doing it. And Steffi and I were talking today about the importance of not just doing stuff because your pastor comes along and tells you to do it. You look, you seek out the will of God. Seek out what do you want God. Uh, and, and that is what he's doing. It's just such a ma- remarkable story of a man who loved God. And by the way, every one of you is created by God to love God and to behave exactly like Hezekiah is behaving here. So he orders them to basically have a day of atonement. And verse 24, verse 25 says, He stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, stringed instruments, and with harps according to the commandment of David. So you can imagine him growing up, listening to his mom, Abijah, Zechariah's daughter, speak about the time when all that great music was in the temple. And day and night in the temple, and he's thinking, I can't wait till I'm king. Because all of this is going to happen when I'm king. There was no worship at the temple. The temple was boarded up. And meanwhile, I, I, apparently the Levites are still practicing in their houses or whatever. <laughs> because they are able to play. But he brings out all the um, stringed instruments. And he, he's like, man, I've been waiting for this for years this is incredible. We're going to have a big worship concert. It says, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king, Seir, and of Nathan, the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. It's a command to worship God. Verse 26, the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar, and when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshipped, the singers sang, and the trumpets, uh, uh, trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. What a great picture. This guy just growing up learning about all from his mother, when they used to obey the law, this is how beautiful it was. People worshiping with all kinds of instruments, people singing with all kinds of voices. And when you become, when you become king someday, son, this is what you're going to do. You're going to put all this back in place. She remembered a time when it happened. And so she's directing him. I believe that's what happened, and that's why he's doing it all. He's doing it all. Like the whole thing happens within a month of him uh, becoming king. It said in verse 29, And when they had finished offering the king and all who were present with him bowed in worship. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph of the seer. So they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed their heads in worship. It says they sang praises with gladness. Now these are people that had guilt all over them. Because they had been lame. They had stopped their jobs. They were supposed to 
they, for years, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. But guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin, 1 John 1, 9. And the sooner you get that, that you don't have a period of penance where you have to walk around like, oh, I'm so sorry for what I did. You probably know people, and I hope you're not one of them. They're moaning and groaning about sin that they've done in their life. And ever since you've known them, they're still moaning and groaning about it. But yet here we see Levites and priests who it says have a stricter judgment than everyone else. They had failed on the job for years, but what are they doing now? They are singing with praise and gladness. Why? Because they understand the grace of God. As soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as soon, doesn't matter what your record of history is, you can praise God with gladness in your heart, unashamed, and God receives all of it. God wants all of it, because think about it. He gave his son to be crucified, so that would happen. And so when we just continue on with sort of a morbid walk of God, just daily or monthly, just walking around, groping around, so bummed out about having ruined our chance at living for God. No, stop it. The cross is such a terrible scene because God wanted, because, because your sin, your terrible sin, it was, it was more terrible than your sin, and that's why death is swallowed up in victory, and now you can praise the Lord. There was a heavy, heavy cost that was paid for you to be able to praise the Lord, and the Lord wants your praise more than you want to praise. It's the pleasure of the Lord to be in the midst of his praising people. Verse 31, then Hezekiah answered and said, now that you have consecrated yourself to the Lord, come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So they started with, sin offerings and burn offerings. But now he's saying, just bring thank offerings. All these are listed off, by the way, in the first few chapters of Leviticus. It's first in Leviticus chapter 1. This goes over burnt offerings, and then it moves on into the other offerings. And so the assembly bought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. And so... Thank offerings, peace offerings. This is just people praising the Lord at this point. The repentance is over. The time of repentance is over. And this is just now, let's just, let's just love the Lord. And the number of the, verse 32, the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 um, sheep. So verse 33, the consecrated things apparently refers to everything other than the burnt offering animals. Verse 34, but the priests were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. This is apparently because they hadn't been consecrated or some were staying back. That's why I believe they were actually written off. Some, some were just cynical, lazy, rebellious. They were 
stayed in their villages or their cities and didn't come and do their job. So there's too few priests. There were, the priests were too few so that they could not skin all their offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was, uh, was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves, for the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. In other words, the priests were just dragging their feet. And again, this is because for years and years and years there had just been a spiritual low in the country. And the priests were not living for God. Now remember, um, all priests are Levites, but not all priests, but not all Levites are priests. The Levites were one tribe and among that tribe, there was one family, the Kohathites, that were priests, which was a relatively small fraction. I, I don't know exactly what percentage it was, but the Levites were the ones who were tasked to help in the temple. Verse 35, also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. And I love that verse. It just means that revival happens. It happens quickly, and it sweeps over the land. Uh, I love the Finney book, that one place where it's actually towards the end of the book, the, the autobiography on, um, on Charles Finney that many of us wrote. At one point towards the end of the book, I believe he's in Boston at the time, but... He said there was just a continual state of revival. If, you'd, if you rode a horse and carriage from Ohio and went all the way east, you would go, it would be nothing but a revival in every city that you traveled through. That at one point, it was like that. I think that was the 1840s, maybe. Um, and uh, that's what revival does. So as we're evaluating some of these things that have happened recently, Revival usually does spread, um, although maybe what we've seen recently in this country at Asbury and the other places is just God beginning to stir. Uh, love hopes all things, and so we're hoping that that's exactly what it was. Chapter 30, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. So they had not been celebrating the Passover. You remember the Passover, the Passover? The Lord forced the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt by 10 plagues, the last one being the plague of the death of the firstborn where the angel of death went throughout all the land and killed every firstborn, unless they put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts and then on the side of their do doorposts as well, forming like a, a cross as the blood would have dripped down. And they were commanded to celebrate that every single year to, ce to celebrate their deliverance from Egypt, but they just disobeyed and stopped. 
And Hezekiah is taught by his mother, says, look, you should be doing a Passover. So he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. He just keeps on going. He keeps on moving forward. One of the things that the Lord has taught me as, as a pastor is you just never stop doing what the Lord is telling you to do. So sometimes, for example, there's just there's there's foreign missions, and there's like we're starting up a pastor's prayer group, but meanwhile you have the ministry of the church, and it's like no, you put a pause on the foreign missions, put a pause on the pastor's prayer group, put a pause on evangelism. There's so much other. No, you you have to just keep on going. That doesn't mean you don't rest. Um, that's a, that's a different principle. I'm just talking about the ministry of the church. You keep on going. And some of you heard this illustration before, but Guillermo and I were reading a book on General Patton. I think I talked about this on Tuesday night, but it's worth mentioning again. Who was a gift. He was, he was kind of a wicked man, but the Lord used him to win World War II. And one of the, the one of the things that he did was he eliminated the whole concept of trench warfare, which was a disaster in World War One, where they would they would build these trenches, and all the troops would get down in the trenches. They would dig the trenches, and they would just sh you know shoot and, and and try, and they would just the advances were very 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 slow. He just said, and and so what he figured out because he was a military genius is that the Germans had just figured out that's what they would always do. They would go, whatever, half a mile, and then they would build another trench. And so the Germans would just prepare, say, listen, we're going to go a little way, we'll have some time to mobilize. And, and so Patton figured that out, and he said, we're not going to build any trenches, we're just not going to stop. And so he just completely overran um, uh, between... The west coast of France, they just went all the way into Germany in just breathtaking time. And, uh, and it just doesn't stop. And so Hezekiah could have said, no, we got to stop now. Um, I know the law says we're also supposed to be doing the Passover, but look, we've done all this good stuff. No, <laughs> there's, there's other things that need to be done in order to obey the Lord. And so um, he orders them to obey the Passover. And verse 2, for the kings and, uh, and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. So if you, it's supposed to be in the first month, and they didn't say, oh, we missed the date. We're going to have to you 12, go 12 months. No, he didn't, he didn't do that. They agreed to do it in the second month. God honored it. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And the manner, matter pleased the king and all the assembly. So this guy is just... I mean, he is just an example to all of us. I got to tell you, this guy, Hezekiah, has a heart for the Lord. He doesn't try to find excuses of why to not obey the Lord. He tries to find ways to, 
to, to, to obey the Lord, to do the will of God, to accomplish his purposes. And they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. So they hadn't obeyed the Passover for many years. Now this is a very significant verse because, notice, it says make a proclamation from Beersheba to Dan, meaning in all the area of the 12 tribes of Israel. But by this time, Hezekiah is only king over two of the tribes. But like Asa and like Jehoshaphat, it's like, no way are we staying in our borders. We're not going to keep the good news to ourselves. We're going to cross the border and we're going to go into the other kingdom. And by now it's owned by the the, the Assyrians were in power, but they didn't try to make up excuses. Oh, we just got to keep this to ourselves. A faith not worth sharing is not a faith worth having. And so he, he sends them to all of Israel, even all, to, all the area of the 12 tribes, even though he's only king of two of them. He makes a proclamation throughout all Israel. I mean, I, the guy is just a study in good leadership. Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the commandment of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hands of the kings of Assyria. So he's talk- by this time, Assyria had come in and had taken prisoner many of the Israelites in the northern ten tribes, and they had been chained and taken to all parts of the earth, but there were still some left, and he's saying, hey, listen, here's the opportunity to repent and turn to God, and, 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 and the Lord may be gracious to you and return to you. Verse 7, do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespass." against the Lord God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. He gave them up to de- desolation as you see. Because the northern ten tribes, they had just been overrun. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and en- enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. Serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So the runners pass from the city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as from Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. And you thought it was just like in modern times where people laugh at you for your faith. That's what some of you might have thought. This is a 2000, what is this, about 2,750 years ago. That's when this is. They laughed at them and mocked them. But look at the next sentence. Nevertheless, 
from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun uh, humbled themselves, some rather, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And also in the hand of God on Judah, also the hand of God was on Judah to give them the singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Uh, what, is, what time is it? Is that the right time? 8.18? Okay. So here you see the people going out to the land. They're witnessing. They're laughed at by most, but some. It's like, whoa. And you know, this is how it's like. You, if you've taken evangelism training with us, you haven't, I strongly recommend that you do, most will turn away, but some will not. And I tell you, it's all, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. That one person who doesn't, who listens to you, it's totally, totally worth it. <laughs> so, so on Sunday mornings, I'm, I'm taken to, um, I, I, I go out and pray for, for, for a while. I go out on my walk and I pray. And I've started to try to witness to a person or two. And I go up to a person that the Lord puts in my path, usually just one, maybe two. Hey, do you know what happened around 2,000 years ago on, on, on this morning? And they go, no, what? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he, he did that um, after... After dying, God sent his son into the world to tell you that the purpose of your life is to love him. And he died for you. And so last Sunday morning, um, I, I told a guy this, and he totally laughed in my face. He goes, ha, 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 and he turned around. Um, I did, I did, um, I, I did, I did share it with two people. The first guy was very respectful, but, but uh, and then I left. And, but the second guy completely laughed and kept laughing. <laughs> he didn't stop. He kept laughing. Nevertheless, the next day, Monday, yesterday, I'm walking down the street, and I'm seeing this guy on the other side, and he's walking really slowly. And I'm like, that guy's thinking about something. I need to go. I need to go talk with him about the Lord. So I, I circle around and I talk to this guy and I say, can I ask you a couple questions? And he said, yeah. I said, have you come to the place in your life where you know for certain that if you die today, you go to heaven? He said, no. And I said, well, let me ask you this. If you died and, and, and God asked you and you went up to the gates of heaven and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? He said, because I've trusted in the name of Jesus Christ alone. Okay. <laughs> um... And, and then, uh, and so what I did then, and, and I said, well, okay, let's go back to your first question. Why, answer your first question, why did you answer like that? Um, that you don't know for certain you'd go to heaven. He goes, well, just because I've been drifting. And I said, well, can I share with you how I came to know for certain that I'm, I'm, I'm going to heaven? And, and so I was sharing with him, and just to give you an idea of this guy, this guy was like, he wasn't 100% focused. He was 1,000%. I mean, he was like this, to the point where we get to the birthday illustration. You guys remember the birthday illustration? It says, 
Um, birthday illustration is, um, hey, tell me one thing you would want for your birthday. And they say, people say like, okay, I want a, an iPhone. Okay, you, you know, if, if, if someone, um, if you gave someone their, if you went to a birthday party and gave someone an iPhone and they turned around and tried to pay you for it, what would you feel like? Well, I'd be, I'd be really offended. Well, we do the same thing with God. So I asked this, this guy, I said, so on your birthday, what, what, what would you really like? What would you really like on your birthday? And the guy looked at me dead serious. He said, I want my ears and eyes open to spiritual truth. Dead serious. This is what this guy said. <laughs> and, and I said, uh, okay, well, I think your birthday's happening. I'm here and I'm talking to you. Get, name a physical thing. And he, he goes, okay, a book. <laughs> and so I gave him that illustration and, and I just talked to him, and at the end, he's like, are you an angel? Uh, and I said, no, I'm not an angel. Um, but, but, and then he wanted, he wanted prayer for several things. But look, I mean, that's what happens. That's what sharing your faith is like. You, you, you share with some people, um, and they will laugh at you and mock you. It says they laughed and mocked them. Um, nevertheless, there will be some who will listen to you. And of course, after you talk to them, it will be worth having been rejected by 50 others. I mean, I obviously I walked away from that second conversation yesterday like, wow, Lord, <laughs> that was absolutely incredible. Uh, I'll take all, I'll take 100 rejections like that other guy to be able to... Um, um, to, to be able to uh, talk to a guy like that. So anyway, um, wow, it's late. Uh, it's, it's 24 after. So I want to close with a worship song, but let's just go a little further before we do. Actually, um, Manuel, do you want, can you come up? And It says, they laughed at them, and nevertheless, some humbled themselves and then verse 12, the, hand of, the um, hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Now many people, a, vague, a very great assembly gathered at Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. And then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. It says the priests and the Levites were ashamed because they, had, they saw now what was my reluctance for, what was my disobedience for. Here, here's what I was missing. Here's what I was doubting. It says they were ashamed and they sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood in their place according to their custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priests sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun had not been cleansed 
themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So again, here you have Hezekiah. He's got a heart, oversized heart of worship to the Lord, wanting to honoring him. People from the north had come down. Many of them were not clean, meaning whatever. They had touched a dead person. They had uh, the women that had their menstrual cycle. They had had sexual intercourse or whatever, other things in the Bible that either made you unclean for one day or for a longer period of time. You had a baby, you were unclean for, uh, for, for 30 days. If you're wondering why do these things, those, those lessons were on Leviticus. You can go back and listen to those lessons. But, but they had come from all these places to repent. And Hezekiah wasn't about to turn them away. And this, this is what love looks like. I was just talking with Eldon today. Man, so many times people come in at, to the church and they are a mess. They're a mess. What are we going to do? Turn them away? We have to work with them. It's the coolest thing here. The model here is find a way to pray to the Lord, God, help me with this. Because this is not... This is messy. This is dirty. This is ugly. People from the outside will point fingers at us saying, you're disobeying this or disobeying that. Tell us, help us what to do. And they did it, and they just wind up having a great celebration.